Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Mike with Olivari, and today we are hitting part two of our trifecta of pre-Le Mans information. Today we're talking the LMP class guides, breaking down LMP1 and LMP2, so we're giving you an idea of where all these teams have come from and what to expect, and joining me on this endeavor today, I have with me Oliver Troavis. Good evening, Oliver. Good uh, morning, still. Morning for Good you. Morning. Oh yes, it's Just. been it's been a bit of a whirl. I've done three of these in the last twenty four hours, so your timelines are all over the place. Is it a well? Go ahead. You're, you're fitting in. You're you're fitting in with the um, test of man and machine, I guess. <laughs> if your computer hasn't broken. Not not yet, well. not yet. That's still on the cards. It's not a Le Mans until one of us runs into technical trouble. But luckily, we haven't hit that point yet. Uh, so. LMP, the prototypes for Le Mans. In fact, the last year of the LMP1 class as the premier class for Le Mans. We'll start with that first before we get into things uh, too uh, deep. Is it a bit of a bittersweet moment to see the LMP1 class on its last uh, last hurrah, so to speak? Yes. Um, I would have l- liked to have had a bit more of a fanfare, as it were, with competitive right until the end. But... Looking back, it has been an amazing few decades. The the development and the the growth of the sport, but also the machinery has been absolutely insane. I think a lot of people listening to this would agree that some point along there they were hooked, probably by these cars. And that's yeah, I can safely say that for me. Um, yeah, it, it's a, a bit bittersweet because it is what brought us in uh, for the most part, but mm. we've got to look forward. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I know for, for you and for me as well, uh, the LMP1 era has been the entire era of my knowledge of Le Mans. You know, my first Le Mans race that I watched was 2009, which was the peak of Audi versus Peugeot. So, you know, in, in recent history, for a lot of people's living memory, LMP1 has been Le Mans. So it is a, a bit of a bittersweet moment um, for LMP1 to have its last hurrah and uh, and not have fans and not have a fully strengthed uh, manufacturer lineup, but it has been a a very pleasurable uh, class. Uh, it's given given a lot of us a lot of joy, and it's had some absolutely fantastic racing and battles throughout. Uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll be sorely missing LMP1, I think. But what's coming up next year with uh, Le Mans Hypercar is sure to fill at least some of that gap and be the premier class at Le Mans once again. And we'll have something different to to fawn ourselves over for next year, won't we? Yeah, it's 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 the first time in a while we've had new stuff to to look at. A lot of cars right now are kind of carried over from the last few years. Um, so having new new stuff to look at is always exciting. So let's talk about some of those cars that we have this year uh, for the LMP1 class. It's a five car class, which is the smallest LMP1 class we have had in a long time. Um, there's a number a number of factors that that are contributing to that. Part of it is the the reduction in OEM uh, uh, competitive well competitors rather. Uh, another part of that is the the lack of competitiveness from the privateers, resulting in a few of them pulling out and some funding issues as well. But we have two uh, LMP1 hybrid machines, the two Toyotas, 
and a trio of privateer non-hybrid machines. Uh, let's talk about the Toyotas first. Uh, the Toyota TSO50 uh, is Toyota's most successful machine at Le Mans, being the only one to have won it so far. And they're looking for a trifecta of victories at Le Mans, winning uh, the past two years. Now, should do you think uh, there is anything... We'll start. We'll get rid of the awkward question off the bat. Do you think that there's anything that's going to stop Toyota from winning their third Le Mans in succession? Yeah, I mean, only a few years ago, uh, they they took themselves out, and ever since they've been doing pretty well, taking the number seven out. So, um, the, the, there's the race is still going to choose its winner as it always does, even if they are maybe racing against themselves in an upper echelon of the, the class, they've still got to, they've got to race the race, as it were. Yeah. It is still a formidable thing to do, even if they do look bulletproof for these six hour rounds and then some longer ones like Bahrain, maybe. But yeah, it's, it's not a done deal. Um, it never is. Yeah, and that's something that we uh, focused on quite a bit in our Primer uh, podcast uh, that we released earlier uh, today at the time of recording, uh, is that the the first challenge of the event is beating the track, beating the event, having the car survive 24 hours, and not only that, navigating traffic, not getting involved in anyone else's incidents, because it can all happen so quickly, and, and Toyota themselves have been the victims of some uh, quite major accidents in the past where or or mechanical failures where it has all happened in an instant and a comfortable uh win or a comfortable result has been taken away from them in the blink of an eye yeah so it, it's not a, quite a done deal um but i will say that the last two years uh, of competition when they have been up against just the privateers just the privateers when they have been up against the privateers they have looked quite unstoppable um, and I think only just a a, uh, a bit of, I guess, sensor trouble last year was the reason that one of them, uh, the number seven car, lost the lead and eventually lost the victory. But they haven't had an issue uh, at Le Mans in the past two years, which kind of, you, you would hope that speaks to them also not having an issue this year if you're a Toyota fan. Yeah, I, I think another thing to put forward to that sense of failure was there was pretty much arguably uh, a bit of a brain fade as well where you you account for more of the risk by for example changing all four tires yes um now i know they didn't have equal uh, full set of equal tires i don't think at the time but still it's like these are the things that that they should be doing that but after 24 hours the the human aspects of tiredness on the engineering crew come in as well that and and these are the factors that that can really um screw over your results yeah so let's have a quick look at the 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 personnel in the toyota team um I, these two uh, driver lineups haven't changed from last year's le mans if i recall correctly oh no there has been one change uh because uh Fernando alonso isn't in either of the cars so who has uh, replaced alonso is it brendan hartley yes brendan hartley yeah Correct. so 
so in the number seven car, the runner-up car for the past two years, you you have Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Lopez. And then in the number eight car, Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley, and Kazuki Nakajima. All extremely accomplished drivers, all with their own uh, backstory and experience uh, in a variety of different machinery. If you had to pick for me of those two, which one would you say is the stronger car? Taking into context of history, I... I don't know if this is me wanting to believe it or actually believing it, um, but I I think it's the seven. They've got a sort of redemption arc, yeah, as it were. You've got everyone of those drivers looking for something and hungry for something, whereas the other two, or well, yeah, the the other three in the other car, they've all done it. You know, yeah, it, yeah, sure. Brendan has done it with Porsche, but I think Conway after last year and the heartbreak, he he deserves that win. And Kamui Kobayashi the same. Yeah. And kind of a bit about Jose Maria Lopez, maybe a bit of validation because there are lots of question marks over his career as we transition into Le Mans hypercar. Mm. So I want for the storyline and the narrative, I kind of really want that seven win. It would be It would be poetic, wouldn't it? Uh, to have the seven come through for a race win at Le Mans, wouldn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Of course, they they do have competition in the LMP1 class. They have three privateer entries to run against. Um, but an important note here is that there is a, a significant balancing in uh, what's called the equivalence of technology between the hybrid power plant Toyota and the uh, naturally uh, naturally the internal combustion engines of the uh, privateers. Now, why is there such a why is there such a difficult and complicated balancing act between these two types of technologies it it takes into account it, it this 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 spurns all the way back from before uh, hybrid powertrains and balancing different fuel sources so petrol and diesel and it's giving a, the the entries a theoretical performance uh, limit to try and reach to and the theoretical performance limit after a full stint, let's say, including refueling, if you've got a more fuel uh, fuel efficient energy source, the same on pace, but it's never done, it's never raced in theory. So that's where the the discrepancies between the the cars come out. You know, it's yeah. how how you can develop your car as close to that theoret- theoretical peak performance. So with the budget of Toyota, you would expect they could get closer to that theoretical limit. But yes, at, uh, at the the way you you should interpret it is it's a theoretical equivalence, not a literal uh, equivalence. A, a literal equivalence that is that is forcing retrospectively. It's yeah. it's trying to balance uh, looking ahead rather than retroactively applying like a ballast or something. Yeah. Um, now that that's different. We should also clarify that's different to the success handicap system which has been removed for Le Mans yeah um, we'll get into that in just a sec but I think you, yeah. you touched on a very important point there it's a, a, an application before the cars have been built to say here is your the the equivalence point in the technologies hence the name equivalence of technologies uh, as opposed to what happens in the GT classes where it's a post build 
balance of performance that you you uh, have the cars built and then you balance them all against each other to reach that same limit it's it's a bit of a a game where you're doing it you're doing the equivalents before these cars are built as opposed to after yes and and yeah i i i do think that as it's it's pretty obvious that that toyota have got closer to that target um based on the amount that they've spent and and supported the ACO and the FIAWEC I think they've sort of earned that as well with the the amount that they've spent to develop but we have seen a few tweaks compared to last year uh, with the base equivalence of technology to maybe increase the show okay um, and so that comes into Toyota having a slightly higher base weight and also the refueling rigs, the diameters of the restrictor plates in the refueling rigs have been changed to remove any stint length advantage that Toyota may have or may not have been given uh, in the previous regulations. So it, it's it's bringing the the equivalence between the the privateers and the non uh, the the hybrids uh, together a little more than we've seen in previous years. But it's also important to note that if you've been watching the WC this season, the success ballast or the success handicap, uh, you made mention already that it, that has been completely removed. So we'll be seeing the pure unshackled pace of all of these cars against each other at their maximum, um, which is going to ex- exacerbate any performance differences between them. Yes, yes, but we we all all we can all remember, you know, watching let's say Truth in 24 documentaries. There're still cars that win the race that are over 3 seconds a lap slower on on pure pace at the start of the race. Um I think was it was it 2009 where the the Peugeots were 3 seconds a lap faster per lap so i think it was 2008 uh, uh because that was the that was the the first truth and 24 story where wherein uh the audis were able to extend their stints longer and uh make their um yeah make their result as a result of making their stints longer save a few stops yeah. which in turn uh won them the race in the pit cycle but yes we we, we hopefully you know if if there are uh stint length um similarities then that might bring into account a strategy a pit strategy battle rather than just outright performance into it and um, that would be good to see yeah it would be really good to see yeah so we'll, we'll talk a bit about the privateer entries there's three of them this year two from rebellion in a updated r13 gibson so uh based on the orica 07 chassis if i'm not mistaken uh you have the full season car of gustavo menezes norman nato and bruno senna and then they're joined by the the sort of wild car uh wild card car that's a mouthful uh, of Romain Dumas, Nathaniel Berton, and Louis Delatraz. Now, the the full season car has had good results. It's taken race wins uh, in the WEC so far, in due in part to the success handicap system. But they still had good results regardless. Uh, the wildcard car has raced at uh, where has it? It was at Silverstone. Silverstone. Yep. And did they do another event as well, or is that the only one that they've done so far? I think they were intending to do other events, but then that uh, they pulled out because of 
COVID. And yes. Like that, I think. Um, so, uh, so maybe a, a little half baked the the second team, but still with drivers like Romain Dumas in particular, a Formula One winner. Uh, it's uh, quite quite a formidable lineup in those two, just from the driving aspect. Uh, just having a quick look at those two in isolation, who do you reckon is going to be the faster of the, uh, of that team? I think the one they're going to have the the crew that's more experienced inside the car and outside the car. Yep. Um, maybe there might be a few people working on the three that that haven't been there for a while, and and um, I don't know about uh, Berton does ELMS I think so he's pretty well versed. Uh, Roman Dumas you mentioned of course, but I'm not sure so sure about Louis Delatraz uh, in terms of sports cars um, at this level, but we'll we'll see. Yeah. Um- so that's uh, two of the three privateers. The, uh, the third privateer car is uh, from By Collars, uh, a, a long-time privateer team who are making a, a wildcard appearance. They came off the reserve list um, to participate in Le Mans, uh, and they will be bringing their updated CLM P1 uh, with the Gibson engine. They had a run out at Spa uh, in the last WC race, and did an admirable job, it must be said. They weren't uh, at the absolute pace at the very top of the field, but uh, until they ran into electrical gremlins, they were actually doing quite nicely and uh, were ahead of the rebellions for quite a uh, quite a spell as well. I think their their wet weather performance at Spa was pretty positive in terms of looking at Le Mans potentially being wet a wet race later, uh, being done later on in the year rather than in the middle of summer. Yep, but. If they can stay out of the garage, that's the main thing. And knowing by collars, that's a big ask. Especially after yeah. having zero running for an entire year prior. Uh, they hadn't run the WEC at all until the Spa race. And they were looking at an, as an outside shot to get on the entry list. So the fact that they've come in with almost zero running is is going to be... if Yeah, as you said, if they manage to outdo the LMP2 field, if they can keep it out of the garage, that'll be an achievement. For sure. Yeah. Uh, by the way, drivers in that car: Tom Dillman, Bruno Spengler, and Oliver Webb. Uh, for those, uh, for the bike collars. So we're we're expecting them. Uh, we're expecting a bit of a hierarchy here of Toyota over Rebellion over bike collars. I think is the the general expectation. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. I think there's pretty um, split uh, levels that we can expect from from the different um, chassis. Yeah. Uh, a notable uh, ex- uh, missing link on the entry list is the absence of a two-car full-season uh, entry from Janetta from Team LNT. Now, they were signed up at the very beginning of the season to run the full season with those two cars. Uh, that car was initially... that Sorry, that entry was initially... Uh, scaled back to a single car effort due to budgetary constraints, due to COVID uh, schedule changes and everything else in regards to that. But recently, within the last week, the second of those cars was also pulled from the entry list, uh, which is a real shame for, I know, for a lot of people listening who are fans of uh, the Janetta project. And uh, we certainly were a part of that as well with our signage on the car uh, as, a, as a bit of a support deal. Um, but uh, Ollie, it's it's a bit of a shame to see that not happen. Can you give us a bit more of an insight as to why uh, that program has not uh, made it to Le Mans? In the UK, we currently have a, a quarantine situation for people going to France, uh, coming back from France rather. Um, so it's it's quite difficult when a lot of the the staff members are um, 
also or the staff members for, for team lnt that are operating the race team are also people who have day jobs uh working at janetta um day in day out uh developing new sports cars or running domestic programs um things like that and it's difficult to run the race uh, and then bring them back and then take them away from what they're supposed to be doing as it were at home these race teams they that and quite a lot of them let's let's say are, are, are based in the uk or mechanics and drivers are based in the uk and engineers they are probably full-time engineers so they can get away with when they get home to to quarantine themselves so it, it's tough yeah. um, to, to run the the Janetta business at home, but also take those people away and do the, the the racing. It's a shame because this this kind of number six was being paid for, or or a bit of it was being paid for by Chris Dyson, and um, I thought that would be enough to to keep this single car going, but unfortunately. Uh, it was too much. Uh, it's a it's a real shame uh, because it it, it really uh, it, t- it takes away a little bit of the the sort of garage Easter flair that uh, you know we love to see at Le Mans. And I I know that uh, Team L and T uh, uh, they would be very sore about being uh, missing out on this event yet again. Um, unfortunately, it does kind of roll back into the uh, the inability to gain a customer uh, a customer team sorry, to run the car. Um, I, it, yeah, it's a bit of a, a problem that's uh, started, you know, a year and a half ago that's come to a head now. And it's unfortunate that, uh, that wouldn't, that the, sorry, it's unfortunate that the Janettas didn't make it to Le Mans. It would have been nice to have seen them, uh, at their absolute best, uh, in the French countryside. But, uh, unfortunately we'll just have to live on as a bit of a dream, uh, for, for the moment. Um, so this is the the five car LMP1 field. It is it does seem a little uh, underdone compared to la- uh, previous years, but still there's uh, storylines and intrigue to follow throughout the race. Firstly, if Toyota can do three in a row, that is still a massive achievement. Doesn't matter who you're racing, if you win Le Mans three times in a row, you are up there with the absolute very best. Um, so that's going like to be Porsche. A- Porsche, yeah, Audi, of course. <laughs> With their famous hat-trick t-shirt. I've got one of those. In fact, you sent me one of those. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I wear it and people look at it and go, what does that even mean? And then they see the back and they go, what does that even mean? (laughs) Porsche own a football team like Wolfsburg (laughs) with VW. Yeah. Uh, No. So if you you win three times in a row, and it's an opportunity as well for the drivers of the number eight, Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima to win three in a row. And I think there's only been two sets of drivers who have won Le Mans three times in a row. I'm pretty sure one of them is Jackie Ickes and Derek Bell, and the other one would be uh, Tom Christensen, Frank Bieler, and... Oh, McNish? No, that can't be McNish. I think it's Dindo, maybe? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Dindo Capello. Yeah, so it's only so those the same the same group of three drivers have only won Le Mans consecutive years in three consecutive years twice. 
So that's uh, it would be a massive achievement for Buemi and Hartley to do that. Uh, Buemi and Nakajima, rather. Uh, but they do have to overcome their teammate, and they do have to overcome a team of privateers, and they do have to overcome the event. So still plenty of intrigue in LMP1 uh, to look at. Of course, that'll be the overall uh, result as well, you would expect. But history hasn't always uh, shown that uh, the fastest class wins overall. Uh, so I think we'll move now into uh, what's well, a bit more interesting, uh, I think, for for a lot a lot of people, and that is the LMP2 class. Twenty four entries in this uh, pro am category. Ollie, what is the LMP2 class, and why has it got such a wealth of talent? P2 is the um, more accessible way into uh, Le Mans prototype racing, both for professional drivers and amateur drivers. It's a, a spec series um, to keep uh, costs of entries down. Uh, and that will hopefully show with uh, parity of performance. Now, we'll probably see that only uh, at the four during qualifying because that's when all the pros are in. It's when <laughs> yeah. the amateurs and the the, the tyres, we'll, we'll touch on that later, um, come into a play. Um, then it starts spreading out. But it is, it's a really competitive class and some of the best drivers are still taking it on in LMP2. So it's not uh, uh, by any means, you know, a boring class. Uh, unfortunately, there is a, a wealth of or a lopsided chassis split. Yep. Um, so the majority are Orica 07s. But on the other hand, if they're all... If 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 the class was full of Orica 07s, then it would be more competitive. Yeah, because everyone plays together. So, you know, on the one hand you've got a positive, on the other hand you've got a negative. Exactly, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, every every car in this class runs the same Gibson engine, 650 horsepower Gibson V8, and you've got a choice of uh, one of four chassis options, of which at Le Mans we'll see three because the Riley is trash. Uh, and everyone needs to know that the Riley is trash. Uh, so it's a great mix of, as you made mention, amateur talent, professional drivers, and some of the best racing car drivers in the world are in this class. And with 24 cars as well, that in itself, if you excluded the entire rest of the event, 24 cars in a single class is is a Le Mans race. We've had uh, overall grids in leaner times uh, with less cars than that. So it's going to be an absolute madhouse and it produces some fantastic racing uh, in both WEC and in European Le Mans series, Asian Le Mans series. It, it is a really, really competitive and uh, well-subscribed class. Uh, now, you've made a little note there talking about uh, how there's not always a equivalence in performance uh, because of drivers and tyres. Let's dive into that a little bit more. Why is the driving talent so broad in this class? I think you know, we we've mentioned a lot, and you the listeners probably already know about is is driver ratings, and so there's a mandated um, silver or lower driver out of the th- one of the three that's required. So this is generally a driver that is paying that for their seat, um, and there's a big range of people who are um, classified as silver or lower so you've got the bronze drivers and you've got silvers that qualify and then because there's that only accounts for one seat if you might be splitting the costs with another amateur driver then you have two amateurs and a professional rather than 
one amateur and two professionals. So there's there's the makeup of who the three drivers are, but then also the individual amateur could be a silver or a bronze, which puts them into two different windows of um, lap time and um, pace consistency. Yeah. So it's it's all kind of races within the main race because you could have you could be comparing bronzes against each other, silvers against each other. Um, and it kind of ebbs and flows as you've got the professionals in at some stages of the race and then the amateurs come in um, against them. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all ebbing and flowing and it's good to follow. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to note as well that while we talk about amateur drivers as if it's, you know, some someone might hear that and might think, oh, they're just, you know, they might be a bit bad or, or someone who doesn't take it a bit seriously. It, it's in part kind of that but it's also you know these drivers these amateur drivers they might be hobbyists sure but they're still incredibly accomplished drivers uh, i think martin haven made the point at the wc race at spa uh about fritz van Erd, who is a a uh, a business owner he owns if i'm not mistaken the jumbo supermarket train uh chain in the netherlands so you know his day job is managing a massive company uh and yet he he's he's out here on weekends running races against former f1 talent and he's still a fantastic driver martin haven said he's a very quick driver if you're in the car with him you'd see how fantastic he is but you're comparing him a you know a business owner someone whose day job is not sports car racing with a former f1 driver whose entire life has been paid professional racing so even even uh even though the gap is you know four or five seconds that's still a tiny gap in relation to the range of driver talent around the world uh so it's you know amateurs a bit of a misnomer they might not make them living racing but they're certainly fantastic drivers and there's a lot of quality in some of the am drivers in this field yeah it it, if you're comparing them against current or, or former formula one drivers you know it shows that that's the the bar that's set and and it means that this isn't a joke of mm. a class you know it's yeah it's it's probably i would say it's the most competitive and exciting class to watch in a wec race lmp2 yeah, there's always something going on. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get, go go through the drivers and the cars now. We'll break them down. We'll let you know where they've come from uh, in the world, what series they've come from. Uh, we'll give you a bit of an insight into the driving talent and whereabouts we might see them in the field. We, you know, we've got 24 cars, so we might say, you know, a, a top eight would challenge for the race win. A top 10 would, uh, a, top, a middle eight would you know be aiming for a high spot in that mid pack and then there are some teams whose goal is just to get to the finish and that's an achievement in itself that should definitely be celebrated so we're going to go team by team um so if you're following along either on the entry list or if it's been released yet the andy blackmore spotted guide which we should definitely plug more often here um or you will go through uh based on their team names and uh you know we'll group them together that way so we'll start off with the number 11 car the euro international car um based out of uh for some reason which is flagged under the usa which is a bit weird for a euro team called euro international uh, they are running, um, they've come from the ELMS and they are uh, running the Ligier and they've got drivers, uh, Adrian Tambe, Eric Maris and Christophe Daz, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. D. Asenborg, as Asenborg, as, as Asenborg, <laughs> we're go. off to a great start. <laughs> it's Belgian. I mean, 
<laughs> is this is this where that. the secret Belgian Dutch rivalry comes out, Ollie? Is this where it starts? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, so this team uh, making the step up from the European Le Mans series. Uh, Adrian Tambe is the gold rated driver, so the professional, and running with two bronze drivers as uh, the co-drivers. Uh, how do we rate that? You know, what do you reckon their chances are? You know, straight off the bat, not so good. Um, they've got a, a tough ask because they're running the Ligier p2 car which is um less competitive and they're used to this team qualified from running lmp3 yes which is uh, a completely different car so they're new to this car and i don't recognize the drivers from the p3 so i think their drivers paying for their seat coming in uh, giving oh. a, a go at le mans Tambe so, and Tambe and Maris are the uh, the regular drivers um, for the yes. LP3 team. Yeah, and then yeah, De Ansenborg. Oh, yeah, that that one it sticks out. Yeah, um, and uh, a double bronze, especially when there are some teams with double platinums, it's kind of a, the the odds are stacked against them yeah. uh, before the start. So uh, of those three tiers that we said, you know, going for the race win, looking for a high, a, a top 10 or uh, making it to the finish, Mission. which <laughs> group three. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll use, we'll use that uh, natality going through uh, just to make things a bit easier. Um, so that's the, the first one off the list. And then next is one of the big teams that are going to have a lot of eyes on them. Uh, two cars from G drive racing. Uh, the first one is run by Al Garve. So this is the team run by the group that ran the Asian Le Mans series effort, which if I recall correctly, finished second. Uh, no, they won the Asian Le Mans series uh, in LMP2. Uh, this is number 16 car driving the Aorus 01 with drivers Ryan Cullen, Oliver Jarvis and Nicholas Tandy. Now this car only got announced last week as a fully fledged effort. And by golly gosh, if you're going to leave it to the last minute to drop in an entry, those are the types of drivers you want to be driving that car. Absolutely brilliant. That is uh, a yeah. statement. Yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're coming out saying they're going for it properly. Ryan Cullen is, is a good driver. And I think the, the only question mark, uh, with all due respect to APR, is the, the running of the team uh, in terms of maybe the the setup, the if there's anything that goes wrong, the the the, the mechanics working on the car, yeah, we'll see. But you know, hopefully Jarvis and Tandy, even though they are um, not so well versed in uh, P2 racing, they can dial it in and um, give Cullen the easiest job to to bring it home. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, this is a, a really sneaky pick for yeah. uh being up front now you say i i had a little chuckle there in the background because you say jarvis and tandy aren't all that well versed in lmp2 racing of course both of them have won overall uh for uh audi and porsche respectively um i'm actually not too sure if jarvis has won overall but he's definitely been an audi lmp1 driver when that program was still around yeah yeah uh i had a bit of a chuckle because both jarvis and tandy have had championship winning or championship second place finishes in LMP2 cars uh, in the last few years. Jarvis, of course, raced with Yoda Sport. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Tandy um, finished out the uh, 2016 season with... 2015 season, rather, with uh, 
the KCMG machine in the Orica 05, that beautiful Orica 05. So it, it, it made me laugh a little bit when you said they haven't really run too much LMP2 stuff because they they have quite a bit. <laughs> because it is because they are good enough to then be taken up to the factory level. Yeah. You know, so it's not because they're bad. It's because they're really good. Yeah, exactly. Um, I that's 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 an absolutely crazy car that came out at the last minute. Uh, the other G Drive car is the more traditional G Drive car that you'd be familiar with from the European Le Mans series, also running the Aorus 01, which is a rebadged Orica 07. Uh, Roman Rusinov, John Eric Verne, and Mikkel Jensen, who for me has been the revelation of the ELMS so far, coming up from I think it was Ultimate uh in lmp3 to now sit as the am driver in that team alongside john eric verne who's a formerly f1 driver and roman rusinov who might be uh one well as a team owner he's an absolutely fantastic driver and they jensen has been absolutely far and away the the best am in that series almost yeah he's putting in lap times that are faster than professionals so to have that as your quote-unquote worst driver uh on paper in terms of driver rankings it puts them uh leapfrogging everyone else pretty much um it's whether roman rusinov can um have a clean run because he's he is a gold he was previously a silver but he was upranked but has, has yet to show um compared to other gold drivers uh, why he is in that rank ranking window, but yep. um, he's still pretty good. And they've had some decent results already so far in the ELMS season. They've come away with two second places and a shock DNF at Spa-Francorchamps, which is a real surprise uh, to the team uh, after what was a, a good run out there. Uh, G-Drive, we, we kind of joke about them in the past being the evil empire. They always seem to be the team with the, the super silver and the best pro drivers and the best execution. They always seem to be the ones always at the front, always winning races. Uh, but they've kind of lost that mantle a little bit in the past two seasons. We'll talk a little bit about why that's happened. But still, you can't uh, dismiss uh, the possibility of a G-Drive victory at Le Mans. They have a, a very experienced TDS crew as well that are yeah uh, it's a really professional outfit yeah we'll come back to g-drive because there's an interesting tidbit um that we'll talk about right at the very end but for the moment i think you could easily put either of these two cars as a possible race winner like straight up oh yeah yeah uh next up on the list is uh, the team run by the current elms champions uh coming from 2019 idex sport uh we have the number 17 car in the orica 07 uh this car is a bit of the unknown ca- uh, quantity it's got amateur drivers uh dwight merriman kyle tilly and uh, jonathan kennard um two brits and a american uh, i will straight up admit i have no idea who these people are or where they've come from <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a triple am setup, so it's going to be that they sold their seats that they earned um, for winning the ELMS championship to whoever wanted to bid, and um, unfortunate because yeah the the championship winning driver lineup also left the team um, to Dragon Speed, but um, unfortunately. Watching this season for European Le Mans series, the IDEX Sport crew have kind of fallen off Yeah, their, their championship winning form. So I'm not really expecting that much. The, the crew is good, um, but 
uh, the, the mechanics and the engineers, but I'm not sure about the drivers this time. Yeah. Though. Okay. We'll we'll talk about the the what we'll call the main car, the car that actually won the European Le Mans Series Championship last year, the number 28 car, also in the Orica. Uh, just assume it's an Orica 07, unless we say otherwise. I think that's easier. Uh, so it has amateur driver Paul Lafargue, and then uh, gold rated drivers Paul Loup Chatin and Richard Bradley as the two uh, pros in that car. So you made mention that the uh, the championship winning driver lineup has left that car um that championship driver lineup was uh if i recall correctly still paul lafar but yeah Mamo rojas and uh i'm trying to remember the third driver was it um was it uh your van oites in that car no he he was uh, G Drive. Yeah. Okay. I'm having a quick, a quick yeah. Google Rooney. It was. Oh, it was still Paul Loop Chatin. So, uh, yeah, a, a bit of a, a maybe a downgrade from Memo Rojas to Richard Bradley, but it just doesn't have to it seem to have the same sort of wow factor or firepower as it did last year uh, for that team. Yes, it's kind of fallen away from form, but you never know. Um, it could come good for them. Um, fingers crossed. It's always nice to see those championship winners who earn those invites do a, do a good job. I, I don't quite think they'll have the outright pace to go for the win, um, but they should settle very nicely into that second group, that mid-pack group, I think. Uh, next up on the entry list is uh, the team from the Dragon Speed USA. So one of the teams that run the LMP2 class in the United, uh, the IMSA Championship also run LMP2 in ELMS. Uh, they are running two teams, uh, two yeah, two cars uh, this time out as well. Number twenty-one car featuring Juan Pablo Montoya, Timothy Bure, and Memo Rojas, who we just made mention of. And the number, uh, let me just find it. Number twenty-seven car uh, featuring Henrik Hedman, Ben Hanley, and Renga Van der Zander. Uh, the twenty-seven car is the car that we're most used to seeing in the Dragon Speed guys uh, with Henrik Hedman and Ben Hanley. They've been a duo for quite a long time. Um, but the, the number 21 car, that's still quite a serious effort uh, with Rojas and Montoya in the same car together. Yes, I think it, I think the uh, I'm torn which one um, I think would be better because we've got the the unknown but the stars still in the 21 and then the known Henrik Hedman, which is a bit um, questionable. Um, to put it nicely. But then, ben Han- but then Ben Hanley and Renge van der Zander. So they've got some really good professionals in this team. And depending on how quickly they can get the amateur driver time done and out of the way, they could be really competitive. Um, so it, it depends on the amateurs having a clean run without any damage. Uh, or off tracks so we'll see um yeah oh yeah it, it's uh i i st- uh, it's it, i'm i'm in the same boat as you i took me a long time to spit that out i'm in the same boat as you i don't quite think uh the number 27 uh, it's it's scary uh looking at headman in a car uh, to be fair he is quite an accomplished p2 driver he does uh, has got a handle on the the, the p217 machine uh a lot more than he did the lmp1 when he uh, was trotting around in that but the the 21 car just seems to on paper and i don't know the race isn't one on paper have that extra little wow factor about them 
Uh, do you think either of them are going to be at the absolute pointy end along this, alongside, for example, the G-Drive cars that we've made mention of? I think this this is the one of the biggest teams that will profit the most from a good safety car. Um, if they can get lucky with a safety car after their amateur drive time is complete, this is a car that will be really rapid, um, to say the least. Yeah, and we've seen some absolutely mega stints from both Hanley and Vandergaard in that car in both ELMS and IMSA competition. So, yeah, if they get get into a position where uh, Hedman has completed his time, they can just focus on the pros, that will be something, something that can play them back into the race. Uh, now, on to one of the marquee teams for the LMP2 cars, uh, quite possibly the new Evil Empire, United Autosports arriving at Le Mans with two machines, uh, the number 22 car and the number 32 car. We'll go through the, the full season number 22 car first. Uh, Phil Hansen, Felipe Albuquerque, and Paul DeResta, uh, a silver and two platinum drivers in that one. And then their second car is still filled with quality. William Owen, Alex Brundle, and Job Van Oetert, who somehow in this race still have a silver rating, which is ridiculous because there's no way he's a, a silver uh, driver on pace. Uh, looking at those two lineups, they are terrifying lineups if you are another LMP2 team because, my word, any of those drivers could be a factory LMP1 driver. Maybe not William Owen. <laughs> I mean, William Owen, Will Owen, he has, he has grown. Um, he's been at United Autosports for several years now as their amateur, and he was kind of like their more midfield kind of entry. But the last year has been a real coming of age for Willowen. Um, I think there's been a lot of hype of Phil Hansen for good reason, uh, being, you know, like a future professional. But I think we're starting to see maybe the same for Willowen. And he may be more stable as a silver because he, he has less risk of being uprated to gold like Phil does. So we've seen that recently with the this season's European Le Mans series that that Willow and and, and the the Brundle uh, Van Oter crew can put it right up at the front of the the order um i think these two they might have to be doing some politics and <laughs> not necessarily team orders but you know they've got a hard job to to sort out these two if they're both at the front because they will both be at the front. There is no way that the these the quality of these two teams are, are not going to be treading on each other's toes. Because we've already seen in the European Le Mans series uh, a little bit of that um, with some uh, pit stop delays happening because they were both at the very front of the race and both wanted to pit at the same time. Uh, it's 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 kind of crazy how much United Autosports has come on in the past 18 months in LMP2. You know, they were a strong team. They were the, the champions of the Ligier, the, the best place Ligier team at every single opportunity. But once they switched the Orica, they turned from being, you know, the best place of the rest to winning everything. They have not ro- lost a race in LMP2 since WEC at Bahrain last year. They have won, I think it's now, if my, if my math is correct, six in a row in the LMP2 class between the two cars it would make sense yes <laughs> yeah so it's 
it's been an astonishing run of form and uh phil hansen who again i'll make mention here is the youngest driver in the race uh as well so it's and and pairing him with Felipe Albuquerque, former Audi LMP1 talent, Paul DeResta, who was a former uh, Formula One driver as well. It's almost it's almost like you can't bet against that. Odds would be yeah, not that good on that car <laughs> if you wanted to bet on it. There'd be a, the return a, a dollar and one cent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they they they're almost the overwhelming favorite uh, at this stage. We you know we haven't seen any practice or qualifying yet, but they really are going to be the ones with the target on their back. And you know what? I think they're looking forward to it. I think they're looking to forward to having everyone else look over their shoulder at them. Yeah, with that for this year so far, so I think they can handle it. Yeah, uh, you'd hope so. They're doing quite well. Um, yeah, so United Auto Sports, definitely keep an eye out for them. Uh, next one is uh, Nielsen Racing. Nielsen Racing uh, stepping up from, uh, if I recall correctly, the LMP3 class as well. Yep. Um, so they are... Uh, actually, yeah, LMP3 for winning the Asian Le Mans series uh, over the summer. Well, the uh, Southern Hemisphere summer, uh, the, the winter for the Europeans and Americans in the room. Um, this team uh, is going to be borrowing an Orica 07 uh, for the week, and they are running a Garrett Grist, Alex Capadia, and Anthony Wells, which is their standard lineup from the LMP3 machine. Uh, 3Ams, uh, a team that normally doesn't run the LMP2 car, uh, they'd be, I think they'd be happy to get to the finish line. That sums it up pretty well. Uh, these guys are new to this car. Um, it's, a, it's an unknown, but as three amateurs, you can kind of guess what kind of area of the grid they're going to line up on. So um, getting, a, getting a finish would be strong for them, yeah. Yeah, um, they did uh, do quite well to win that uh, LMP3 championship in the Asian Le Mans series. It was very hotly contested between Nielsen Racing, uh, Euro International, and Inter Europol. Uh, so to, to outlast uh, the others at uh, Buriram at the very end was a great result. Um, but we do see this, um, especially with the teams that do step up from LMP3. Uh, part of the w- entering the LMP3 championship is the chance at, uh, at winning a invite to Le Mans. And generally, those teams, uh, part of the experience for them uh, part of the reward is being at Le Mans and not necessarily being competitive at Le Mans it's going to be a good for them good experience for them and I hope they can use that to kick on to maybe stepping up into LMP2 in the future um we'll, the next car on the list is number 25 Algarve Pro um so this is the same team that's running the second G drive car but this is their own car the uh, their own team for for Algarve um uh, based out of Portugal uh they're running a Goodyear clad Orica 07 in a cool cool white and black livery uh and they've got drivers John Falb, Simon Trommer and Matthew McMurray so uh not necessarily the most exciting driver lineup but a solid one nonetheless yeah and they've got backing from Goodyear uh, a nice bit of support from Goodyear so we mentioned before with the g drive entry about maybe potential con- not 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 necessarily concerns but the crew are pretty good we'll see how the goodyear tires go but we'll talk about that in a bit and yeah uh, a double um Am. amateur lineup john faub not so sure about his 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 pace as a bronze but you know i think it's again, we'll see what they can do if they get lucky with a safety car. 
Yeah, uh, and even even with uh, their pro- professional being Simon Trauma, it's it doesn't it, it's not a name that really screams you know a crazy pace. It's not like a a uh, Felipe Albuquerque or someone like that that you can point at and go, this guy should be driving something quicker if the opportunity ever arises. So uh, they're they're still a, a decent team in uh, LMP2 competition in uh, European Le Mans series. Haven't quite had the best run. So far, their best result has been a sixth place at Paul Ricard, um, which doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't really, uh, you know, speak to a, a massive uh, amount of pace. Um, so, do you think they'll break into that mid-pack battle, or are they going to be one of the teams, uh, you know, a bit further towards the tail end of the field? I think they'll be further back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll press on to uh, a team that I know is very, very close to your heart. Uh, full season WEC entry, the number 29 car, Racing Team Netherland. So we talked a little bit earlier uh, about Fritz van Erd. Uh, he is the bronze, uh, the money man behind uh, this team. Uh, he's dragged that team over from the Dallara in years previous to now run alongside uh, TDS in an Orica. And he is joined by a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a Dutch dream team, really. Uh, Guido van der Garde and Nick de Vries uh, completes that driver lineup. And they have had a remarkably solid year in the WEC. Yeah, it, it's been a, a real, um, not, not resurgence because they wouldn't kind of never at the top to begin with, with the Dallara, but they've really grown as a team um, after they moved from Davy tech, who was running the uh, Delara chassis to now TDS with the, the Orica Fritz has, has improved. Um, it's been really positive to see his growth uh, as a driver. He's more competitive. Yes. There are still some times where you, you're, you're kind of uh, sitting on the edge of your seat watching <laughs> um, because he has made some mistakes um most recently unfortunately wiping out the uh Signatech Alpine um with Thomas Laurent at Spa. Um but if he can cleanly get his drive time complete, as we said for other uh amateur drivers, he's pretty much got a double you know, superstar uh lineup. Uh, we mentioned uh, at Spa um, again, Guido van der Garde was at the back of the grid because they didn't even do a proper qualifying. They didn't get the two uh, flying laps to average, uh, which are the regulations in World Endurance Championship rounds. Um, and he, it didn't take him long at all to be right at the front of the LMP2 grid after getting through all of the GTs yeah. on the opening lap. So... Um, I think it's it's a real exciting prospect to see what these guys can do. Such uh, so long as Fritz can get his drive time done reliably, safely, no damage on the car, um, and yeah, I, I can't wait. It's gonna yeah. be good. He's certainly become a lot better at it. I've noticed a, a drastic increase in his consistency. You know, uh, you didn't, you made mention that there's still a few times that you're on the edge of the seat, but in the Dallara, uh, you know, in years gone past, it was every single lap you were on the edge of the seat uh, with uh, with watching Fritz drive around. So the fact that he's actually got uh, a level of consistency where you feel mostly comfortable with him behind the wheel as a bronze is is uh, an, a drastic improvement. 
And let's not forget as well, they have a race win in the WEC this season back at Fuji where there was inclement, well, a bit, a bits and pieces of inclement weather and they did get a little lucky with the safety car. Uh, Fritz managed to drive his driver time cleanly enough to allow DeFries and uh, Vandergaarder to come through and take a race victory for the team, which was astonishing. If you said to, if you said to me last year while I were racing the Delara, uh, in, in 12 months time, in six months time, Racing Team Netherlands are going to take a race win in the WEC in the LMP2 class. I would have absolutely, I would have laughed. But they, they did it and they earned it. And they've been incredibly consistent this season. It's super exciting. It's a great growth. It's the same thing with, with the, the, the debut of the Orica at, at the first round of this season at Silverstone, where they got a podium. And they, they lost second place only on the last lap. Mm. You know, if you said going into the season as well that they would even get a podium, it, you wouldn't. It, it just wouldn't compute. So it it's really exciting to see this kind of little team that could, rather than them being a little team that couldn't. Yeah, I think maybe they'll fall back a bit with Fritz at the start of the race, but then there might be a bit of a resurgence, and it's something to to look at the timing screens for. Yeah, and. It's been it's been really cool to watch that team grow. the The stints that Vandergaard have done, yeah, in particular at Spa and at Le Mans, is something a sight to behold. His stint at Spa in the rain, he was the fastest car on track at the, at one point, and that's including all the LMP1 cars. So, a, an astonishing driver on the on his day. And if there is mixed conditions, look for that car to actually. Uh, as long as uh, as long as Fritz isn't you know behind the wheel, look for that car to, to possibly come through the mix. Do you reckon? Do you reckon That's they've a got? Great a, point. Yeah. Do you reckon they'll they've got enough for a race victory? Do you reckon that? Do you reckon they can challenge United or G Drive? Class victory. Class victory. Sorry. <laughs> I'd love a I'd love a race victory uh, <laughs> overall, um, but slow down. Um, I think yeah. I think it's down to the the amateur drive time and getting that out of the way. And if they are in with a contention with a pro in the car in the last stint, I think they've got a, a real chance to charge through yeah F- fingers crossed I, I'll, I'll i'll put my neck out and i'll say a, a top five for that team i reckon is is where we're gonna get i'll allow it <laughs> brilliant uh another team i know you're a great fan of the duquesne team is number 30 they're also in the orica uh, a team that uh has stepped up from uh initially lmp3 competition the uh, elms to an lmp2 drive and then they got a invite last year and did quite well uh, in the LMP2 category, uh, coming unstuck late on with a bit of a puncture, but still a very, very good uh, team to keep an eye on. Uh, drivers, uh, Jonathan Hershey, Konstantin Cherish, uh, well, let me try that again, Konstantin Tereshenko and Tristan Gomendy, a really good mix of talent, uh, amateur prowess and experience there. Yes, I think it, it's a downgrade from last season because they they had, you know, Roman Dumas airdropped into that entry out of nowhere. So it, it may be a bit of a downgrade if you if you're rewatching last season last year's race uh, before this. But uh, it's a it's a pretty solid team if you ignore you know the pretty dumb fuel irregularity issue yeah. uh, a couple of years ago as well. Constantira. Konstantin Tereshenko, he's improved, but when he was at Inter Europol, there were a few driver uh, error mistakes that he was making and, and was called out vocally on the screen by 
Freitas, the the race director, if he can run a clean race, he's pretty quick. And yeah, they've got a platinum in the car as well. So it's it's a it's a good it's a good solid entry. I think they'll be the front of the mid pack. Oh, okay. You're gonna uh, commit to putting them that far ahead. I I think they I think they will be comfortably mid pack personally. But yeah, front of the mid pack. That's a pretty bold statement. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think I don't know why, but I think they are. They are an underdog, but I think they can back it up. It, they got unfortunate with a puncture and I think suspension damage at Le Mans last year, yes. and they were punching at the front at that point. So if they can replicate that, yeah, sure, they might fall away by being a less experienced team with pit stops at times and things like that. But I still think they're going to be pun- punching quite high. Whether they're going to be in the top echelons, I'm not sure because the the quality is just super good. Yeah, and I I do quite like the romantic story of you know the team that started in LMP3, stepped up to LMP2, on the way also took over uh, a chassis design for LMP3 as well and really grew into a really nice strong entity. It, it's it's a really nice romantic story. Uh, you know if you like romantic stories about race car teams. Uh, I yeah I think they'll be in that mid pack. I, I don't quite agree that they're going to be at the top of the mid pack, but still a solid uh, mid pack drive. Yes, thank you for that in the chat, everyone. Uh, we'll move on to uh, a a French flag team, Panis Racing. This is uh probably the most local team to Le Mans. Uh, drivers uh number thirty one car drivers Julian Canal, Nico Jamin, and uh. Ooh, where have I... I've lost, I've lost where they are on my entry list. Apologies. Yeah. Let me try that again. Um, Matteo Vaxivier. So a really exciting uh, young French professional in Vaxivier. Uh, Nicolas Jamin as well. And then Julian Canal, who literally grew up at Le Mans. Literally. Yeah, he, he owns a, uh, a franchise of McDonald's that is within the circuit boundary uh, on the infield of the track. So he, you can't get any closer. Yeah. Um, and so this one will have the, the golden arches as um, there's always a car with golden arches. So look out for this one. Uh, it's pretty recognisable. Um, but they've moved from uh, Panis Racing was another one like United that have moved from the Ligier to the Orica. Yeah. And they've improved their results because of it. It's, it's kind of a shame that uh, the... Uh, there is such a clear gap in performance between the the Orica and the Ligier, um, because it does mean that it you know everyone converges on the the better chassis option. But uh, you all of a sudden start to see these teams that you kind of written off as oh they're just kind of there to fill in the numbers, uh, all of a sudden become competitive and really uh, punch you know above their weight. And I think Canal Canal has actually impressed me as an amateur, and I'm really excited to see what Vaxivier can do in in that car. I think you know he's a very exciting young French driver. And the trio of them—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a French dream in that car. It's a, a sleeper, as it were, to put on, um, to to put on the ones to look out for. Um, they're kind of sneaky, hidden, but then they're still pretty competitive. Um, we'll see what the crew can do with their pit stops, and and they're also moving away to they've moved away from their long-term michelin tire use to goodyear uh, recently so we'll see how that goes um but i think yeah it's an exciting entry 
Especially if you're I'm French. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's natural. <laughs> I love it. Uh, next up, we'll skip over the United Autosports car because we've already talked about that. We'll go to the number 33 high-class racing Orica. This is a WEC full-season entry um, featuring Anders Fjordback, Kenta Yamashita, who is the uh, Toyota young development driver, and amateur driver bringing the money, Mark Patterson. Uh, now, when Yamashita is in that car, even when Anders Fjordback is in that car to an extent, that car is an absolute rocket. Unfortunately, Patterson uh, clips the wings of that car quite a bit. Yes, and unfortunately, his goal was to become the oldest driver at Le Mans, and he was going to do it this year, but unfortunately, he's been pipped by someone in GTEM. Yes. Uh so that's a bit of a fail already um, before they've started. I'm not too convinced so far by Yamashita. Um, I think he's still getting to grips with LMP2 machinery yes. after moving from Japan. I think he does Super GT stuff. Yeah, he was uh, um, last season's Super GT champion. Uh, exactly. Bujok is saying for us in the chat. Thank you, Bujok. Yeah, and Anders Fjordback he's a really really good silver but they could he's he's taking the place of a, a potential pro because they've got the amateur bronze mark patterson as well i'm not impressed by mark patterson's pace as well he's at the slower end of bronzes so yes they're going to be good for qualifying it was maybe one to look out for for qualifying sessions but on race pace, I'm not convinced. Yeah, and to give, add a little bit of context context to that, rather, uh, their results in the WEC so far this season, they currently sit 7th in the championship uh, with a best result of 4th at Fuji, which is uh, Yamashita's you know, most familiar track out of the entire WEC calendar. It's... I, I do want to actually touch on Yamashita as the role of the gold, the role of the professional in that team. You made mention he's still coming to grips with LMP2 machinery, if he was, say, in a, a team with a Alex Brundle or, uh, you know, Paul DeResta or someone who's been a, a professional LMP2 driver for, for quite a while, I would expect that he would be a, a, a much quicker driver uh, because, you know, there is, you know, setup irregularities and those sort of things you have to learn about a new car. But when the responsibility is solely on him to set up the car to be comfortable in a race stint for not only himself as the professional, but for the two amateur drivers as well, that's a lot of pressure. And if you're not, uh, if you're still new to the car, new to the team, uh, it, it's definitely a part of being a racing driver, which I think is under underrated or at least not as not nearly as emphasized as it possibly should be do you could uh do you want to add anything to that uh do you agree with that at all yes i think that's that's a really good point um to, to elaborate on that the, the cars are kind of well you can find performance but you're going to get potentially closer to a knife edge with an amateur driver in the car and if they fall off that that cliff they might spin going into the gravel crash hit the wall which does a lot more damage so if you can set the car up to be more accommodating to the amateur driver which uh mark patterson definitely is mm. um then you're going to take sacrifices in outright pace which then will look make the pro look bad 
so we need to kind of put a lens on our view of this entry and kind of think well how soft um uh, is this entry you know how how uh, rounded are the corners in in the setup just just to make it safer More easier drive. for yeah. mark patterson yeah to to get the car home um in one yeah how close is it to the knife edge that a professional would need it to be to extract the outright pace yeah yeah um so uh their results in the WC haven't really shown that outright pace. Uh, I think they would comfortably sit in the bottom bracket uh, of the three that we were talking about before. Any objections? Yeah, I think there'd be it, a good a good result will be the lower end of the middle pack. I think. Yeah, I, I would it might be a bit harsh, but yeah. yeah. Well, I I mean, you know, someone's got to be at the bottom, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, we have a pair of Ligiers coming from, uh, entries earned through, uh, two different series. We have the Inter-Europol Competition number 34 car. Uh, this is the green and yellow car. The, the Norwich City car, if you've ever watched a, a European Le Mans series, uh, event in which Johnny Palmer has commentated on, uh, that, uh, driver lineup has, uh, Rene Binder, Jakub Smykowski, and Mateus, um, uh, Mateus Izakian as its three drivers, which is a bit of a departure from its regular, uh, lineup in the European Le Mans series. Um, um, I, uh, Rene Binder is someone who is, uh, I, I'm more familiar with him driving the Baikola's machine and Matevis Izakian is a former SMP LMP1 driver. Yes. Yes. Um, well remembered with the Rene Binder, um, point, uh, they have experience with prototypes, um, and Schmikowski is a, a pretty good amateur as well. So this 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 lineup has been together already through European Le Mans series this season, which gives us a good indication. But they they are competitive as a Ligier. They are sometimes punching it um, up with the um, Oricas. We'll see, you know, whether there is an anchor that's holding this entry back in terms of being in that chassis. But yeah, I think this will be the fastest. Uh, Ligier um, by, a, by a margin and I think this is the one to look out for if you want to pick an underdog to get a good result because any competitive orica that they are ahead of is you know a really good result yeah for them I, I would agree. I, I, I think uh, Schmeichowski's amateur results are a little clouded by the, the chassis. Um, oh, also, by the way, how confusing is it that of the three Ligiers, you have Euro, Euro International, Inter Europol, and Eurasia, uh, which is the car we'll talk about next. It's just uh, it's, it's as, if, as if they want to confuse us further, but that's another discussion to have. Um, unfortunately, their results in the ELMS, while they have shown glimpses of competitiveness, haven't really matched um, what they're what we've expected uh they're currently sitting in seventh eighth place in the elms championship um with the best result of sixth so you know there or thereabouts which you know in a 15 car field is still a, a, an impressive result but it's not quite right at the pointy end i i don't see this car breaking out of the mid pack unfortunately that's that's the the biggest sort of thing because it's in the ligier it might be the fastest of the ligiers by far but i don't see it breaking out of the mid pack um it's simply because of the the chassis uh which is unfortunate and and as and part of that as well the quality of the the 
teams running Oracles. Uh, there's, I, I think there is just too many good Oracles to allow a okay, uh, a, a better than okay Ligier into the mix. Always good to have an underdog, though. This is true. Everyone loves an underdog, and uh, none, no one would love an underdog. Sorry, there isn't an underdog to love more than a team run by a Polish bakery. Like that's that's a story. <laughs> you love to see it. Uh, next up is the last of the Ligiers on the entry list, the Eurasia Motorsport, uh, who come from the Asian Le Mans series, as the name would suggest. Uh, these guys didn't win a, uh, automatic invite, um, through the Asian Le Mans series. They were given a, uh, an invitation additional to the automatic invite. So it was great, a great achievement for them. They ended up finishing, I think, third in the championship behind, um, G Drive and Carlin. Uh, so they'll be uh, coming along with two of their Asian Le Mans series drivers, uh, Nick Foster and Roberto Meri, uh, as the two professionals. And then the amateur driver in that car, uh, who as well was a part of that uh, lineup in the Asian Le Mans series, is uh, Nobuya Yamanaka. Um, and that uh, only got announced fairly recently as well that they would all be making the trip together. Uh, beautiful looking car, by the way. They just released pictures of it, and it's this awesome black and gold machine. Yeah, it's a good look. Um, it, it will look good right at the back of the grid, um, <laughs> because I think that's where they're gonna be, uh, especially after uh, um, Yamanaka's uh, done his first stint. He's someone who had a go at Spa Francorchamps and was like twelve seconds a lap off the pace. I think they're thankful that there isn't an average lap time for qualifying because they'd be pretty far down uh, if there was but the other drivers are pretty good um pretty good is a Mary, pretty yeah, good is a, is a an pretty understatement, understatement so yeah yeah roberto Mary is rapid uh, former formula one driver um he did as you mentioned the asian le mans series and was pretty pretty competitive there so We'll see what he can do with this uh, this car, um, and uh, same thing with uh, Nick Foster. Yeah, as well. Nick Foster, really, really cool uh, Australian driver. Um, had a pleasure of chatting him to to him a fair bit at the bend um, when I was uh, there. Roberto Mary, uh, as an aside, he got absolutely stitched up with a Vegemite challenge at the bend. Uh, his, uh, I think it was Nick Foster, actually put about three times as much Vegemite as I would eat on a on a cracker so he uh, roberto mary has friggin uh flashbacks about that i think um there is a, a major concern around uh yamanaka uh we have seen inexperienced am drivers cause incidents in the past and with a lack of testing and lead up to this event i would hate for the uh for him to be involved in an incident because they he was rushed into a program that he wasn't ready for so that is uh, on a on a personal level on a fan level i'm a little concerned by that because it, it it has it has been something we've seen um and we only have to look back to last year to 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 see something along those lines um which is unfortunate so uh yeah i yamanaka will be the anchor in that car and i hope it doesn't he doesn't become the anchor in a, another team's race if that's a nice yes, way I think, of putting it. I think that's a, uh, we can draw parallels maybe to the 
88 Dempsey Proton last year yeah. uh, with Satoshi Hoshino, where it kind of became like he, he pulled himself out of the race um, because he wasn't confident about the safety driving around other cars as well. And, and the difference in pace between his car and the prototypes. Now it's uh, flipped where we've got the amateur in the prototype maybe being a bit awkward around the the GTs and, and overtaking. And, you know, the cars that are going to be going much faster in his mirrors, even in the same class or the prototypes ahead of him. Um, he was doing the same lap times as the GTE pros at Spa. So, you know, it's maybe getting awkward um, with him mixing uh, with different classes, but we'll see. Hopefully he has a clean race for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. And, and hopefully he's able to get up to speed. Hopefully he has enough time behind the wheel in the practice sessions to, to really get up to speed and really feel confident. Because I think uh, a lack of test day is going to hurt a a team and a driver like Yamanaka more than it would say United Autosports, who's done it all before. Yeah, for sure. Uh, press on to uh, a few big powerhouse teams. We've got only seven cars left, if I'm reading this correctly. So this is where we're going to see some real big powerhouses uh, for the race. First off is the number 36 Signatech Alpine Elf Machine running a Alpine A470, which is just Norica 07 painted blue, uh, and drivers uh, Andre Negrau, Pierre Rag, and Thomas Laurent. Now, this car is the reigning LMP2 race winner, not with that full driver lineup. They have lost uh, one of those drivers to another team, which we'll talk about a little later on. But still, Thomas Laurent, former LMP1 uh, test driver for Toyota, uh, Andre Negrau, uh, a... Aggressive, <laughs> an aggressively good silver driver when he was a silver driver, now is rated go- a gold, which is a much more appro- appropriate rating for him. And Pierre Rag, who I'm pretty sure was the AM driver for Duquesne last year when they had such a good run. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I think looking at Pierre Rag's performances through the World Endurance Championship so far, moving between the teams, he's taken a while to get up to speed. Uh, and I think the entry itself, the new lineup, took a while. I think because we were expecting them to be up at the front like they were the season previous, it was a bit jarring to see them not punching right for podiums. Top, yeah. But I think now they've they've starting to ride that wave up uh, upwards and uh, with that upward trend. And Signatech is a team that have uh, shown they can get it done. So. I think this is another, it's kind of rude calling them a dark horse, but I think this will be like a sneaky top group finisher. I, I don't quite see them having the absolute pace to match the likes of United and United Autosports and G Drive over the full length of the race, but they will certainly be up there. They have two podium finishes in the WEC season, a podium at the opening round and a podium at Bahrain. Uh, actually, no, sorry, a fourth at Bahrain. Um, they arguably should have had a podium at uh, Spa-Francorchamps uh, until they were involved in a little bit of an, uh, well, a little bit of an accident. They were involved in an accident um, uh, passing a GT car with another prototype, uh, which you made mention of earlier, uh, and uh, wrote off their second chassis in almost as many months. Uh, how much is having to turn around a brand new chassis in the space of five weeks to get it prepared for this event likely to affect them um, for the 24 hours. 
outfit. So if any, you know, if anyone, they're going to be the guys and girls that can do it properly. Um, they also have much stricter time constraints. You usually there would be a test day where you could iron out those gremlins if there were any with a new build. There's always going to be stuff that you find on a shakedown test to to sort out. Um, so they're not going to do so well, I think, to start with in free practice because that will be their first run out pretty much. But yes, I think they'll 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 handle what they've been the cards that they've been dealt. Yeah, yeah, they'll grow into the week as the week progresses. So next up, we have a pair of WEC full season entries. The only, well, they're not named under the same team, but the only two entries in the WEC that are run by the same team are run by Yoda Sports. We have the number 37 Jackie Chan DC Racing Orica of uh, of the Nether- the Dutch flagged, but definitely Chinese hoping tongue, uh, Gabriel Aubrey and Will Stevens. And then the second car uh, under the Yoda Sport banner um, uh, is run... Uh, number 38, the Mighty 38, with Anthony Anthony Davison, uh, Antonio Felix da Costa, and Roberto Gonzalez. So two very accomplished teams uh, in and two groups of very accomplished drivers. Um, unfortunately, without quite the results to match so far this season in the WEC. Yes, so these are the, the two cars that have got the biggest backing from... Um... Goodyear. The Goodyear tyres, um, after the switch from Dunlop, uh, I think they've kind of got more to show um, if they could get up to speed with those tyres. Uh, the, they have the, the driver lineups for sure that are capable. It's kind of like, you know, having a, a stellar driver lineup that United had when they were running Ligier's. Yes. Um, they're kind of held back a bit in some conditions. Um, now, obviously, the 24 hours, especially this late in the year with the long night, there's going to be a lot more conditions for their tyres to maybe shine that we haven't seen so far in World Endurance, Ch- World Endurance Championship rounds. Um, so we'll, we're yet to see that. And, and also, if it comes down to wet running, They've only ever had one race with these tyres um, in 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 the wet. So the, the Michelins, they they they've got the the strength there um, and the experience there. And also there are many 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 more Michelin runners. So there's a wealth in data there um, that the teams can or that the Michelin can take away and and develop with to make the the average michelin car get better yeah um so they are rapid and if their tires fall into a good performance window of the conditions then these guys are going to be super competitive gabriel albury is a really good amateur driver who is now uprated to pro he's only kept as an amateur because we are crossing over calendar years with the driver ratings so the previous year is fixed um, Roberto Gonzalez was, in my opinion, better on the Michelins when he was with Dragon Speed, um, but is getting better and better more and more as the season goes on um, with the new team. Anthony Davidson's 
a brilliant driver. Felix Acosta, uh, Antonio Felix Acosta, again, brilliant driver. Hope and Tongue is really good. And um, same thing with Will Stevens. So I think they've got all the cards that they need. Sure, it's difficult with the, the, the good years, but I think they are a team that can get a really strong result over a 24-hour period. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the the cool conditions because the the coolest condition of racing that we've had so far this season that didn't end in rain um, was at Shanghai, which was where the Jota Sport car actually won. And when the the pace came up uh, at uh, at uh, Silverstone, um, they were in the mix as well. Unfortunately, they haven't quite had the the results that they would have been looking for. Uh, Fuji. Uh, they've got a second place and they were in the mix there until um, the number 38 car, you know, had a failure. Uh, they took first and second at Shanghai. So that was the, the really big calling card. Uh, but as soon as the track got wet at Spa-Francorchamps, they were nowhere. And that's a, a symptom that Goodyear tires seem to have when you compare them to the Michelins. The Michelins are just so much more superior in the wet. Um, I had a quick look at the forecast earlier today uh and it looks like for the moment uh that it's meant to be a dry and cool evening over in Le Mans come Saturday uh so we could see these guys really dial into their setup window and yeah really pull away because as you made mention Gonzalez uh, you know he won the championship in his debut season in LMP2 as an amateur which was just a phenomenal drive uh, out of those two cars, the 37 or the 38, which one is the better one? Um, 37. You are correct. Of the amateur. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, you. Yeah, I guess that's fair. You said you did mention that Aubrey is getting upgraded to gold. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I, I think I rate da- Davison and DaCosta a little better than the combined efforts of Stephen and Hoping Tongue, but there's so much emphasis placed on the amateur in this class that, yeah, I... I Results show that you are correct in that that assessment. <laughs> I I kind of think the thirty eight is better personally, just by a little bit. It's just a little bit. <laughs> uh, at least that shows that uh, they're very very close, and they should be in that sort of top five looking for a podium sort of range, um, and maybe even for the win should the weather uh, suit them. So two cars, three, four cars left. I got a little excited there. Four cars left. Um, we have a uh, a non championship entry um, coming up from. I guess this is kind of a special entry. It's a it's a graph uh, graph run so twenty four spirit of twenty four car um, with a, uh, a graph racing basically driver lineup of James Allen, uh, Vincent Capillier, and Charles Malesi as uh, a second silver driver. Now, this car, uh, Spirit of 24, is basically a... Um, it's it's kind of like a, a French-sponsored team, I guess. I, I don't really know how to describe it. It's... Yeah. But the car livery is usually a French tricolore. Yeah, so. pretty much. And and that's... Yeah. They, Graf take that as well to their European Le Mans series effort. Um uh, Capillier is actually quite a, a, a competent uh, silver driver, but I don't see them having the same firepower as other cars that have come from the LMS to challenge for the win, personally. Yes. Vincent Capillier, he was really good last year with his lap times. Um, punching up against drivers that have been subsequently uprated to gold, 
I can't remember if he himself has been uprated, but since he's uh, coming from ELMS, his uh, rating will be for 2021 what is shown. So, um, yes, I think he is a super silver himself, um, but they are a double amateur car, which does come with its um, compromise. Uh, James Allen is really quick. He's shown that a lot in ELMS. Um, but um, yeah, we'll see. I'm not. I, I think this is lower middle of the pack. Yeah, I, I am. I haven't actually recognised the name Charles Malesi. That's a, a bit of an unknown quantity um, for me. Uh, do you have any idea where that driver has come from? Because it doesn't show up on any of the graph entry lists for this season in ELMS uh, in both LMP2 and LMP3. Yeah, I don't recognise that name. Yeah. We'll leave that one to the chat. If the chat room uh, can identify where Charles Malesi has come from, um, besides France, uh, that would be a great uh, little tidbit of information to pass on to us. Um, if you can, uh, now some more, some more big guns to have a look at. Well, I think one of the, the final really big, uh, uh, team to really focus in on, uh, the number 42 full season WC entry from cool racing. Well, firstly, what a cool name, right? Cool racing. Damn. Um, and the reason that this team is one to watch is because it has, the only driver with a 100% class win record at Le Mans so far, and that is Nicolas Lapierre. Uh, he is uh, one of the the owners, I think, of the team, one of the principals of the team, um, and he's moved over from Alpine, um, which uh, we made mention that driver lineup has changed. So Nicolas Lapierre over from Alpine to his own team, and he has a dynamic duo of amateurs in Antonin Borger and Alexandra Cogni. Now, you have a, a bit of a mixed feeling around this team based on the, the double AM setup and their results. Take us through what what you found in your analysis of this team in particular. So they, as you mentioned, have two amateur drivers. One of them is super, super quick, Antonin Borger. He's really competitive and can sometimes punch above his rating uh, when compared to professional drivers. So you would think that on that they would be a, competi a really competitive uh, entry. Um, Alexandre Cornier, though, is the bronze and he's um, shown in the past um, not that competitive pace especially even as a bronze compared to other bronzes. So it is a, another anchor, as it were, that, that pulls back the entry. But as I mentioned before, if there is a, a, a safety car that, that accounts for that time um, that lost against the, the, other, the rest of the field, if you put Nicolas Lapierre in the car up against whoever, they are super fast. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go on pole with Nicolas Lapierre, to be honest, because he's just super quick. Um, a one-two punch with Lapierre and Borger is super competitive. When Corny unfortunately broke his uh, pelvis, I think, yes, um, at Silverstone in the double header on the Saturday with the ELMS crash, it was just 
Lapierre and Borger doing the drive time them, themselves at Silverstone um, in the WEC race, and they just wiped the floor. Yeah, they it won. Was so was, obvious. Yeah, um, they yeah. that was their de- debut race in the WEC, and they won it. And it was off the back of Cogn- uh, of of Borger and of Lapierre. Uh, we have seen Lapierre do the hero final stint on numerous occasions. I can think back to Spa in 2016, um, where he made the pass for the lead around the outside of Pipo Durrani in the in the forest. Uh, sorry, in the campus S's, uh, passing a GT car in the process with five minutes left. Um, we've seen him do it at Le Mans. We saw him do it last time out at Spa Francorchamps, where uh, you know he came and pulled that car up to second. If if you put Lapierre in a winning position near the end of the race at Le Mans, he will win the race for you. As long as he's in an LMP2 car, uh, he has a record of four wins from four attempts in LMP2. However, his uh, exploits in other classes, uh, namely LMP1, hasn't quite matched uh, that uh, level with only one podium from four attempts. Um, I would struggle to write this car off even if it is lapsed down in the early runnings simply because Lapierre is in the car. That is how how exciting and how brilliant this man is in an LP2 machine. It's kind of terrifying, to be honest. What to look out for, definitely. Yeah. And they're going to be charging through the field after Quan Yi's finished his drive time. And if they manage to get Quan Yi's drive time out with significant full-course yellows or safety car, or just even in an early part of the race where it's slow, that car is going to be an absolute rocket. Um, if they can uh, tag-team Borger and, uh, and uh, Lapierre all the way to the end. Sure. Uh, two more cars left, and then we'll uh, wrap it up. Uh, number 47 car, the only Delara on the list, uh, the full-season WC entry from Settilar Racing. The Italian team in the Italian car living the Italian dream uh, with Roberto Lacorte and Andrea Bellici and Giorgio, uh, Giorgio Cernagiotto. I should have done a much better job with those names considering my heritage. Um, this team is a fun team uh, to watch. It's always uh, really cool to see uh, someone bring forcibly bring their entire culture with them in the form of a race team you know they've uh, put out documentaries straight to youtube documentaries which are great watches by the way um of their exploits in previous years at le mans um and they 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 call it you know the the italian spirit of le mans their entire shtick is that they're an italian team in an italian car doing their absolute best uh at uh, the world's greatest motor race um, they're a really fun team, to be honest. I quite like their their attitude towards things. Yeah, I, I think they're they're unashamedly like sticking to their Italian roots using the Dallara chassis, uh, despite its um, kind of difficulties, uh, as it were. Um, it's really cool to see Roberto Lacorte, the the amateur, um, doing uh, a lot better. Um, growing into that role after, after um, joining the World Endurance Championship from previously doing European Le Mans series. I think it's like a, a feel-good kind of entry rather than one that will be up at the top. Um, they're going to be, I think, mid-tier will be a really nice um, success for them. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, I will recommend people to, to have a look at, out for their YouTube uh, documentaries. They're quite uh, nice stories. And especially, uh, was it last year where they 
was it last year or was it the year prior? Two years ago that they had a almost wrote off their chassis. Yeah, so uh, uh, the especially the one from the, the 2018, um, yeah, the, the 2018 story is an absolutely remarkable story uh, where, yeah, I, I won't spoil it, but they, they did a full rebuild, basically, of the car on the Friday. So it was a really, really cool thing. They, they got that car to the finish. It was an amazing story. Um, yeah, Delara double M set up mid-pack will be a good result for them especially considering they are currently seated last in the lmp2 uh category in the championship for the wec with the best result of fifth out of eight cars so not really a, a an impressive run so far um but something they i think they bring something that some of the you know big teams uh might lack in in their, you know, in their execution, their brilliance, uh, the the Settler team bring a lot, brings a lot of passion, a lot of, you know, energy, uh, and they they just they they love being there, and it's really cool to see that. Cool. So final car. This is probably one of the most high profile cars on the entry list as well, um, and the reason for that is that it is an all female driver lineup. This car is the number fifty Richard Mille Racing Team. Uh, this is a team that I think is run by Signatech as well, so running uh, the Alpine and running this car. Uh, and yeah, it's been billed as an all-female driver lineup. Uh, they've been racing in the European Le Mans series so far this season, uh, and they will be uh, running Le Mans with Tatiana Calderon, uh, Sophia Flersch, and uh, I'm going to mess this name up because I can't ever get it right, um, Bietzke Visser. Is that right? Bietzke. Bietzke. Okay. Friggin why does Dutch even exist? Honestly, it's like you took normal letters and you just made new sounds for them. It's just, just whatever, whatever. Um, that car was originally slated to have Catherine Leg in it as well, but she suffered a massive accident at the um, Paul Ricard prologue test for the European Le Mans series at Seine Corner, the fastest corner on the track, uh, and broke her leg. So, um, unfortunate for her, she will miss out on Le Mans, but they've managed to keep uh, the all-female lineup, which all-female driver lineup, which is a big, uh, you know, calling card for that team. Um, and uh, Batesky Visser is a very, very big pickup for them as well, um, with proven W Series talent in that car. Then at uh, the previous round of the European Le Mans series, we got a a bit of a look at uh, Batesky Visser's um, potential in this car at Paul Ricard for the the 240 Paul Ricard. I think she's going to be, I'm not sure about Calderon, um, but I think Visser might be the most competitive one in that car. I had my doubts going into that race um, about Visser coming, getting up to speed quickly uh, with LMP2 machinery, but uh, she certainly impressed me. Um, There's going to be a lot of coverage on this car and yeah, look out for it. It's going to be good. It's an absolutely beautiful, striking red, which contrasts the the Alpine, you know, cool blue livery quite nicely. Uh, this car actually had a pretty good result at the first round of the ELMS season, uh, with finishing fifth overall. Uh, but that you know that could have been in part on the back of uh, you know maybe a bit of wheel work from Andre Negrau, who who filled in for for Catherine Leg that race. Um, yeah, uh, Calderon and and Flourish, uh, you know, single-seater drivers who have, you know, maybe not quite found their opportune moment in the single-seater scene. So to get them over to sports cars is really, really cool. And both of them have been improving, uh, especially Calderon. Calderon uh, came in with a lot of question marks, but she's uh, 
slowly putting them to rest. She might not have the the, the same pace as the cars, uh, the some of the drivers around her, but uh, she's doing a, a good job of being uh, competitive in in the class uh, uh, compared to some of the other silvers, certainly. Yeah, and that's a good point mentioning the the the, the driver rating. All three of them are silvers. And I think sorry You're to jump in over the top that, of you. So, sorry to jump in over the top of you, but yeah. I think Catherine Leg is also rated silver or is she a gold nowadays anyone in the chat be able to verify what Catherine legs driver went up to gold recently so leg is a gold yeah okay so um it's unfortunate that they've had to they that they've lost uh leg from that team because she would have certainly she certainly has the most uh sports car experience out of the lot um racing in the imsa competition and getting close to winning that championship actually uh, a few seasons ago um so it's unfortunate that they've lost her, but I think the um, Batskavisa is actually, yeah, if she's as competitive as you've you've mentioned, that's uh, almost a straight swap then, uh, because yeah, it it's it would be quite impressive um, to be on legs pace almost immediately, and and to be that close is is a pretty good sign. So, what what do you reckon will be a good result for for the number fifty car, the Ricard Mill Racing Team? Uh, do you reckon? I I think if they get a, a top ten, they will be pretty happy with that. I think that's that's a, a a really good goal. Um, that is achievable for this team. The the senior tech people running it are, are pretty solid. That's for sure. Um, they know how to get it done, and I think it it, it has the potential of being a really good advert for Le Mans. They're they're going to be lots of eyes on this car from mainstream media outlets. So hopefully they uh do that um visibility justice and um put in a good good result yeah and it's a it's a it's a good point of difference to the other all-female car on the grid we'll briefly mention them here even though that we talked about them extensively in the gt uh podcast coming up the the iron ladies of manuela gosner rahel frey and uh completely forgotten the third i always do this uh, Manuela Gosner. Manuela Gosner, Rahel Frey, and Michelle Gatting is the Gatting, Danish driver yeah. that I keep forgetting. Um, it's a it's a very interesting sort of uh, mix because on one hand you have uh, a, a group of drivers who might not have all that much mainstream appeal. You know they've been in sports cars for a long time or out of the the public eye, and then on in this car in particular you have you know fresh. Uh, straight out of Formula 2 or Formula 3 talent or W Series talent, which is already at the forefront of people's minds. So it's it's a it's a nice little um, transition and a, a nice little way to try and get uh, some eyes from mainstream motorsport onto onto a car, which is going to hold a lot of people's interest. Sure, and having experienced the the Iron Dames crew, um, the buzz around them on the 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 pit walk. Um, they walked through down down the pit lane, and the crowds of young boys and girls uh, wanting photographs, signatures. You know, it it isn't a joke, and yeah, it, it should be good. It should be good. Yeah. Uh, so we're at the end of the twenty four cars for the LMP two class. Uh, Ollie, be brave. Give me your top three. I'm only going to give you three, so I'll give you a little bit to think about it. Um, while you think about it, we have we've already talked about 
the tires. We've talked about the importance of the uh, the driver lineups and the bronzes and the amateurs and the silvers. Is there any other factors that really uh, jump out at you when you're trying to pick these cars um, as what you would focus on for someone who's never seen an LMP2 race to, to kind of decipher who's going to be quick and who's not going to be quick? Uh, it's tough because you can't quite compare race results because they're all coming converging from different series yeah i think but it's a good marker to for someone new to quickly look at european le mans series asian le mans series and uh, the world endurance championship whoever's kind of winning that or has won previous seasons are going to be pretty competitive i think the top three are going to be the two United Autosport cars, I can't determine which order. Uh, and, oh, it's tough. I'm going to go to the other dark side and do the 26G drive. Ah, ah deplorable oh only dark side cars how do i like you might have heard me sniggering in the background there how do i know you're going to pick both united auto sports cars i mean and who can blame you they're just so so powerful they have the star power they have the great amateur driver and they have the team to back it up oh yeah i mean come on and, how can you not and the fact that they're on a, a six race winning streak in lm in lmp2 races across europe and the wec as well it's almost as if it's too good to be true yeah that's the thing right it's almost as if it's too good to be true it's almost like uh you know uh toyota at le mans 2017 like it's so so well weighted in their favor that if they don't win it's going to be an absolute disaster so of course i'm gonna pick them for win as well um i'm gonna go with the the 22 car the united Auto sports car i'll also jump on with the uh I'm actually going to go the 16 G-Drive car. I think that car, Jarvis and Tandy in the same car is an absolutely crazy prospect. Um, and then as as far as the third, oh, there's so many good, good teams. Um, I want to pick, but but I just want to pick Cool Racing because it has Nicola Lapierre. That's, I, 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 I can't not. It's... Talk me out of picking, picking Cool Racing because I... I I'm struggling to. You're, you're, you've, you've been drawn to them naturally. <laughs> yeah, there you I go. Can do stop. Yeah, fair. Um, a a quick note that's popped up in the chat. Uh, from Bujok once again. Thank you. Uh, the number six. Uh, interesting dichotomy in the G Drive cars because the car being run by the Algarve team, uh, the number sixteen car is on Goodyear tires, whereas the number twenty six car, the one being run by TDS, is on Michelin's. So that would be a very interesting point of comparison throughout the race to see which one of those cars has more pace uh, throughout the event. I think it's it's a good comparison um, to to use this car and the Jota Sport cars to be the big um, uh, datum to compare to the Michelins. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Finally, your two minutes. Give me a, a quick TLDR on which tire will be better. Who, regardless of the conditions, tell me right now, Michelin or Goodyear? If you're running an LMP2 well, team, Michelin or Goodyear? It's not regardless of conditions though, because that's like <laughs> the big thing about it. Um, I would run with Michelin. There's just 
strength in depth in terms of data. They have proven performance in both the wet and the dry. Yeah, just go with go with the uh, the Michelin option. And I think you'd be doing the entire French sports car uh, scene a, a very a very happy service there by saying that. To be fair, you are entirely correct in your assessment. I would also pick Michelin's if I had the choice. Ollie, thank you very much for your thoughts on the LMP2 entries. Me, it's brilliant. I can't wait. It's going to be a fantastic race. Uh, if you're still looking for more uh, content, of course, we've uh, got our GTE class preview coming up as well uh that will go through a similar sort of thing will go through gt pro and gtm uh track action starts on thursday uh free practice one will not be streamed via the app or via the uh broadcast package but there will be a video from fp2 onwards uh make sure you pick up your anti-back more spotters guide and uh run along with that as well an integral part of uh, the Le Mans experience um, join us in the discord join us in the discussion threads we'll be uh, very very busy throughout the week uh, and we'll have our customary pre pre-race show here on endurance chat uh, starting 90 minutes before the drop of the green flag hope to see you there thank you very much for listening I've been Michael Salvari peace out Do you ever get sick of listening to your own voice? All the time. Yeah, Happens me too. When I was thinking, yeah.